Hello, and welcome to I Couldn't Throw It Out, the podcast where I share the stories behind the treasures I've saved, and then we try to throw them out. In this episode, we go back in time to 1983 with Kiefer Sutherland, when he was 16 years old and gave me his very first interview. I used to sit at home and wonder why the hell I was going to going to school and doing all this stuff when I could be out in the real world, you know, really making a big bang out of, mm-hmm. out of life. You think I can throw out that tape and all the things I saved for my two days with Kiefer? Well, keep listening. I couldn't throw it out. I had to scream and shout. Before I turn to dust, I've got to throw it out. Hello, Sally Libby. Hello, Michael Small. I know you can see me on that computer screen of yours, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, what do you think of this very thick gray cable knit sweater that I'm wearing? Mm, Handsome. Do you think it looks like it's in good condition? Oh, very. It's possibly the warmest sweater known to humans. It looks thick. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I bought it when I was in Nova Scotia 39 years ago. No. I was there with another guy who bought an identical one. And his name was, uh, well, Kiefer Sutherland. No. Yeah, name drop. Wow. (laughs) I highly doubt that Kiefer wears his sweater anymore. (laughs) But on really cold days, I used to wear mine to work. And I was sharing an office with my friend, Brett. And he would always say, nice sweater. And I'd say, I bought it with Kiefer Sutherland. (laughs) And then he'd act all impressed. (laughs) And then the next day, I'd wear it again. And he'd say, nice sweater. And I'd say, I bought it with Kiefer Sutherland. And he'd act all impressed. (laughs) I loved that routine. And it allowed me to do all this humble bragging, which, as you know, is my specialty. Yeah. Along with plain old bragging. Uh Uh-huh. You're good at that, too. But now now I've got to take this thing off because I am melting. Mm. And while I do that, here's a request for you. Tell me what you know about Kiefer Sutherland? Ooh. Mm. Well, I don't know much about him because I've been so focused on his father all these years. Donald Sutherland is one of my favorite actors. Uh, But I do know Kiefer was in 24. Yes. But guess what? He was also in a boatload of big movies. Like what? He was in Stand By Me, The Lost Boys, Young Guns, A Few Good Men, Mm -hmm. and Flatliners. What most people recently know him for is he spent eight years as a counter-terrorist. Well, that was in 24. Yes. Uh, He was Jack Bauer. Yep. And he was in 192 episodes, won him a Golden Globe, an Emmy, and two SAG Awards. Oh, wow. Go Kiefer. Yeah. But I have a confession to make. Before this month, I don't think I've seen any of Kiefer's movies or TV shows. And it's not so earth-shattering, except that I bought that warm sweater with Kiefer after he gave me an interview. And I am pretty sure it was the very first interview of his career. How old was he? He was 16 years old, two weeks short of his 17th birthday. I suppose I should be honest and say that until recently, this fact was not topmost on my mind. But then I dug into one of my boxes and pulled out another one of my treasures. Of course! It's the cassette tape of that interview recorded way back in 1983, plus a folder full of all the related information. It was like a time machine. Zoop! Brought me right back there. 
So for me, this is really the story of two young people. One who was competent and comparatively mature, who gave his employers exactly what they needed. And of course, that was Kiefer. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was me, a very ancient 26-year-old. This was one of my first people assignments that required out-of-town travel. Plane flights, a hotel room, expense account meals. It was all so exciting. Now, let me ask you, do you have any theory why People Magazine spent good American dollars to send a beginner like me to interview Kiefer Sutherland in Nova Scotia? Well, you and Kiefer were both green, pretty green. So maybe they thought that you two would have a good rapport. Basically, you're right. Because these days, if you said, I'm going to go interview Kiefer Sutherland, people would say, wow, you know, cool. But back then, not so much. They would say who? Yeah. And the top reporters were very busy with the big stars of the time. You know, John Travolta, Duran Duran, the cast of Dynasty. Remember that show with Joan Collins as the evil Alexis Carrington? Yeah, it was Dynasty. So if I were pro, I would have been sipping some drink, my ties with Joan in the lounge of the Beverly Hills Hotel. But when the editors said, we need someone to go to the far end of Nova Scotia in the cold of December to interview Donald Sutherland's 16-year-old kid, the pros just weren't into it. So I got the gig. When you met this teenager, what was your first impression of him? When I was with Kiefer, I didn't have the slightest hint that he'd have a big career. For one thing, our location didn't reek of superstardom. (laughs) It was this tiny town called Sydney. That's where Kiefer was filming the lead role in a movie called The Bay Boy. Ever heard of it? No. No, I didn't think so. Liv Ullman played his mother, and the director and the screenwriter was Dan Petrie, who had just released the movie Fort Apache the Bronx with Paul Newman. Did you see that one? I've heard of it, but I never saw it. Yeah, well, I think the critics would like to forget it, too. From what I read, it, w- it was about violence and poverty and police in the South Bronx. And The Bay Boy is just about the opposite kind of movie. It involves a crime, but it's very quiet and thoughtful. It's based on the true story of Petri's life as a teenager right in that area where they were filming. He auditioned tons of kids for the lead, but Kiefer was the one. Earlier today, I sent you an email with some information in it, and it has a quote from the director about why he chose Kiefer. Can you share that with us? Yes. It quickly became one of the easiest decisions I ever made. The first day I met Kiefer, I came back and told my wife about it. I said, the kid has a haunting quality. A haunting quality. Which I think his father does, too. It doesn't fit what I remember of him off screen. The truth is, actually... I barely remembered him. And then I turned on that tape. I started out by asking Kiefer if we should get chopsticks. (laughs) And then, boom, I remembered. I interviewed him over lunch in a Chinese restaurant. Just to confirm that I didn't make this up, I searched on the interweb. And there it was. There's a picture of the restaurant where we ate. And believe it or not, it's still going strong almost 39 years later. Right. Do you think people are packing in because they want to touch the table where Kiefer and I sat? Probably not. As I listened to that tape, that picture, that place, the, the tablecloth, everything came more into focus. And I could see Kiefer right across the table. At the time, 
I did not know what I needed for the article. So I just asked him everything. That was my technique, part of the Michael Small School of Journalism. Just ask everything since you don't know what you need. So I got, I mean, every detail, his height, he was five foot 10, his weight, he was 145 pounds. And finally, he looked at me and said, this is like going to the doctor for a checkup. (laughs) (laughs) Since you interviewed him when he was so young, did you get any juicy tidbits about his childhood? I think I learned more about his early life when I read about him in Wikipedia this week. So what I can tell you is a mix of what I found online and what he told me directly in 1983. For instance, I learned that Kiefer's full name is Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George Rufus Sutherland. Good Lord! He needed a few extra names. He's named after Warren Kiefer, who was the director of Donald Sutherland's first movie. It was an Italian horror movie called Castle of the Living Dead. Christopher Lee was in it too. And there's no doubt that it was very scary in all kinds of ways. So Kiefer was named after a zombie movie? Then what happened? Kiefer and his twin sister, Rachel, were born in London in 1966. So they must have a little Austin Powers in them, I'm guessing. We know their father was a famous actor. What about their mother? Was she an actor too? How did you ever guess? (laughs) Their mom was the actress Shirley Douglas. She was best known for acting on TV shows and live theater in Canada. Though she also played Grandma in the movie Barney's Great Adventure. It looks as if she and Donald Sutherland were together for about four years. Both of Kiefer's parents were very active politically, protesting the Vietnam War and fighting for civil rights. Shirley started a Friends of the Black Panthers fundraising group, which led to an accusation that she tried to use an FBI check to buy grenades for the Black Panthers. But That case was dismissed at some point. Mm -hmm. And here's an interesting tidbit. Their grandfather was Tommy Douglas, the premier of Saskatchewan. That makes Kiefer a hero in Canada because his grandfather championed the single-payer healthcare system that exists today. Oh, cool. So if you ever bump into Kiefer, please be sure to thank him on behalf of all Canadians. I definitely will. So did Kiefer take after his parents by getting the acting bug really early? Or did that come later? Shirley is the one who encouraged Kiefer to try acting. He was in his first play when he was nine. It was a one-act play called Throne a Straw by Don Freed, who is still writing plays to this day. And after Shirley and Donald split, she moved with the kids from L.A. to Toronto. Did you remember if he gave you any sense of what he was like as a kid? Was he a good boy or a hellion? I don't think this is going to come as a huge surprise. He told me that his sister Rachel was a real bookworm, but he was kind of a naughty boy. He didn't pay attention in class, and he was asked to leave one school for bad behavior. When I met him, he still had a bit of the bad boy image. He was already chain-smoking Craven A cigarettes. So I asked him about that, and here's what he said. When did you start smoking so heavily? I smoke heavily? Yeah. Me? You're going to ask that in this interview? Yeah, why not? Um, about a week ago. <laughs> oh. Um, no, I got very worried about that because I saw a magazine with Matt Dillon. It said, Matt Dillon smokes. Is that right? What does that mean? Is it right for him to smoke? Is oh, it right for no, youth to that... smoke? On the other hand... This may seem like a contradiction, but I also asked him about high school athletics, and he was a star runner in Toronto. But before I play this clip, two things to notice. 
I'm going to interpret it as a good sign that he liked me enough to kid me about the way I said Toronto. Also, notice how he greets new crew members in French, by the way, as they arrive at the restaurant for lunch. He didn't let the fact that he was the youngest one keep him from being the big man on campus. He was going to greet everybody as they arrived. So, here we go. Are you serious, Toronto? Yes, I was definitely very. So that was in Toronto. In Toronto. Yes, it was in Toronto. While you were looking for your work. No, I quit running in Toronto before I was looking for my work. Oh, in Toronto. 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 Bonjour, Pierre. Comment ça va? Very good. So you were running in when you were 14, 13? 13, 14. Yeah. And you did hockey in L.A.? Did you do hockey in hockey in L.A. and Toronto? Toronto. What did you What did you run? 400 meters. You want to hear the time? I used to run it in 52 seconds. I was ranked in Ontario, one of the top runners in Ontario. This must be how he got the part in 24, because he was always running after the bad guys. Or running from them. So did he get any acting breaks before he ended up in Nova Scotia? I wouldn't exactly call it a big break, but when he was 15, his dad helped him get a small part in the Neil Simon movie, Max Dugan Returns. After that, he pretty much lost interest in school, and he was determined to be an actor. He got an agent. He was 15. (laughs) Then he went home to Toronto, and he moved out on his own, got his own apartment. He was 15. This is what he told me about it. The whole thing about you leaving home raises the question, why why did you leave home? Was there a specific Um, problem? No, there were no problems. I... uh... I wasn't doing very well in school, mm-hmm. and I, I, uh, I just, for some reason, I always had wanted to be older than I was. I always had older friends. I always did things with them, and I always wanted that, and I felt that if I moved out, maybe I could do things my own way and do them on my own time, and things would improve, and luckily enough for me, they did. You skipped all these years. Does it have something to do with life you lived or what? No, I just, well, my father, I've seen my father do his work. And when I was very young, I saw him go off to big, big things and my mother doing her thing. And I, I used to sit at home and wonder why the hell I was going to, going to school and doing all this stuff when I could be out in the real world, you know, really making a big bang out of, mm-hmm. out of life. Mm-hmm. I never wanted a nine-to-five job or any uh, structure like that. It's just the way I was brought up, I think. I was brought up very independent, my parents. How did your parents respond when you said, Mom, Dad, I'm moving out on my own? I didn't tell them. Uh Oh, (laughs) you So you just sort of left? No, I, I, well, no, because, see, parents are very, very wonderful with this thing they you tell them something, they say, no way, forget it. You do it, yeah. and they go, are you all right? Oh. <laughs> so I did it, and they phoned up and asked me if I was all right and if I needed any help. And my father helped me out, and my mother helped me out. How, where'd you get the rent money? Uh, my father helped me out, and I, I made all these grand promises that I'd pay him back as soon as I got a job. And, he, <laughs> and 
uh, I didn't get a job for about a year and a half. <laughs> and, uh, and now I've got a job and I'm all ready to pay him back. And he said no. When he got his own place, he started trying out for acting jobs. He tried out for dozens of them for two years. He didn't get a single part, nothing. And when he got a lead in The Bay Boy, he was over the moon happy about that. Maybe until I showed up. <laughs> because I have been told that my story was for the heirs section in People. That was the section about famous people's children. Mm -hmm. So I felt I had to pound him, pepper him, pelt him, pummel him with questions about his father. Every time we talked about something else, I brought it back to his father. What is amazing is that Kiefer did not get flustered for a second. He just accepted it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me that much about my father, I would have run out of the room. But his being Donald's son didn't seem to help him get apart. Yeah, that's true. I'd say he took it like Jack Bauer facing a world full of terrorists. He just went right through it and didn't let it phase him. So here's an example of me asking him about his dad. It's probably early to start saying this, but I mean, realistically, you, you have Donald Sutherland stamped on your face, so to speak. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and how do you feel about that when people recognize it, you know, is there any uneasiness about that or? Oh, sure there is. Because, you know, you go into an audition, people are there saying he's going to get the part because that producer knows his father, respects his father. Which isn't true because no one's going to lay down the money they do for an actor like this and uh, for a favor. That's ridiculous. But you can't help getting upset because you know those people are thinking it, regardless if they believe it or not. Yeah. Because I didn't get work for a, an enormous amount of time. Extra work, anything. I got nothing. Do you follow your dad's career closely? Not, not that closely? People do it for me. You know, they always they tell me what he's doing. <laughs> How often do you speak with him? I speak to him at least twice a week now. We didn't before. I mean, we, we, but when I moved out, it seemed like everything made a wonderful turn to the right. And uh, yeah. we have a great relationship on the phone. And when we see each other, we really take advantage of that time. I mean, he's also trying to help me get around the fact that he's my father. Yeah. And it's not something you try to escape. It's, yeah. it's, it's, right. It just makes it twice as hard to prove yourself. But it makes it twice as easy to get around. Mm -hmm. So it works for you in both ways. Yeah. And I kept at it. I asked him about his father's movies and which ones were his favorites. To my surprise, he actually gave me quite a detailed answer. Here it is. Don't necessarily get freaked out by my line of questioning. Like, no, don't worry just, about it. No, but no, no. another thing about your dad, like, do, do you, are there any movies of his that were favorites of yours or that you really loved or... Yeah. The acting really impressed you as a one or another? I, I, I liked Don't Start the Revolution Without Me. Yeah. It's a wonderful comedy with Gene Wilder and he. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I think I saw it and liked it, but I think Wilder. it's an old movie. Isn't it an old movie? Yes, it is an old movie. I swear I saw it when I was sick. <laughs> I never saw it. Thank you. <laughs> um... Not many people have. It's usually on at okay. one o'clock, you know, twice a year. Uh, I, I love it. I, it makes me laugh every time I see it. I like The Dirty Dozen because I like John Cassavetti very much. Um, and I loved Ordinary People. 
because I love Timothy Hutton, I love Judge Hirsch, I love Mary Tyler Moore, and my father. I thought they were all fantastic, you know. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, I really admire my father's work sometimes. I mean, there was a CBC thing he did called Bethune that I, with Kate Nelligan and Eye of the Needle. I love both of those. I'm very proud to say that he's my father and that I really do admire what he does, along with many millions of other people. He sounds so much like Donald. If I just heard that clip with no introduction, I'd know they were related. That's probably because of genetics, but they also stayed close with each other even when they lived far apart. Donald had a two-mast sailboat called the Black Duck. So when he and Kiefer were together, they'd go on long trips. I think they sometimes went from L.A. to Catalina. He told me they were going to try to go to Hawaii together. I don't know if they ever did that. I suppose you didn't get a chance to talk to Donald, did you? Oh, I had to make that happen. I was working for People Magazine, after all. I couldn't get him in person, so I got a phone interview. Sally, would you like to hear what Donald Sutherland said about his son 39 years ago? Yes, yes. Okay, well, I'm sorry. But for (laughs) reasons I will explain later, I cannot play the tape for you now. However, I had the transcript. And I'm wondering... By any chance, did you read everything I sent you earlier today? Yes, I did. Anything you send me, I, I, I must read immediately. Oh, that's the spirit. Well, could I convince you to look at it again? Skim down and you'll see some dialogue. That's the transcript of my interview with Donald Sutherland. Just so you don't miss out entirely, let's read it. I don't think I can do a Donald Sutherland imitation, but I'll, I'll lower my voice a bit, a little, so it doesn't sound like me. All right. Uh... How do you feel about Kiefer's career choice? I have great pride in my son, and I feel whatever he wants to do is all right with me. How do you feel about your son choosing your career? Will he be in your shadow? I would not wish to hinder him or have his connection with me be a hindrance. I'm sorry to be part of this interview because, you know me, I always think it's better for someone to be independent. Do you have any stories about Kiefer's naturally precocious nature? When he was two, he ran in circles and hit his head against the wall. I told him I thought he should stop it, and he said he was just trying to make me laugh. Why do you think he's so adult for his age? It has to do with our family. I was adult at his age. My father was that adult at his age. I worked as a radio announcer from the time I was 14 till I was 16. And when I was 16, I left home and I went to college. How do you feel about Kiefer putting his education on hold for a while? That's up to him. I would advise him and urge him to be as positive towards education and negative towards any kind of slackness. Me, I love the whole process of education, really. Studying, examinations, they were as intense as acting. Do you give tips to Kiefer about acting? We have long talks. They are really so private and personal that I could not imagine having them with anyone but my son. Have you considered working together? Yeah, we discussed it. Directors are the people who hire actors, and then would only be if a director asked us to work together. Anything else you want to add about Kiefer? I'm incredibly close to him, and I love him deeply. And that's all we got. He speaks in such a formal way. I wonder what was going through his head during the interview. I think he was thinking something like, talking to People magazine makes me wish I were dead. But if it will help my son, I'll do it. 
I wish I could play the tape because you'd hear the most embarrassing moment that I left out of the transcript intentionally because it's my clearest memory from the whole story. Either it was a bad connection or Donald spoke so softly that I couldn't hear what he was saying. So when we were talking about education, I heard him mumble something and then I waited for him to continue. I practiced restraint. I didn't jump in, but he didn't continue. And there was this long pause and nothing happened. Oh, And then in a louder voice, he said, Michael, did you hear what I asked you? So I answered, I'm not quite sure. And he repeated this time kind of yelling. I said, I think education is very important, don't you? And I was so flustered that I just jumped into the next question without answering. (laughs) So maybe it's not too late to resolve this. If anyone listening happens to know Donald Sutherland, please, I'm begging you, send this message to him. Donald, I do think education is important. I swear I do. (laughs) You may remember, Sally, one of the signature guidelines of the Michael Small School of Journalism at that time. I maintained that you had to reveal things about yourself in order to get others to talk with you. And in my defense, I spent two days with Kiefer, and it might have been weird if I didn't say anything about myself for the whole time. Mm -hmm. But of course... When he was answering my endless questions about his father, I felt compelled to tell him about my father (laughs) and what my father pushed me to do. Mm -hmm. This is how I learned something about Kiefer that probably no one else knows. Listen to this. My father made me play the violin. You too? You're kidding. I ran away from home because of that. Oh, if only I'd been as sensible as you, I'd be a great actor today. (laughs) Instead, I'm working for People Magazine because I play. It's really, really, it's true. That doesn't sound true, but it is. Because I played for 10 years before. Well, that's okay. And I ran away. Now, aside from you both abandoning the violin, do you think you got to know Kiefer at all? What was your impression of him? He definitely seemed fun. But the summary is this. Most of the time, Kiefer, as a teenager, seemed way more mature than I was as a working adult. He had traveled the world. He knew life in Hollywood. When he spoke, he often sounded very serious and grave, like his father. He was already dating an older woman, his co-star in the movie, Leah Pinsent, who was 19. But then he switched to being a kid again, especially when it came to his humor. When I was driving him to the set, He opened the window, leaned way out, like from the waist up, and screamed to people by the road, Help! I'm a prisoner! He's kidnapped me! (laughs) Just to freak me out. Help! I've been captured by People magazine! Which was sort of true. Lee Vollman told me that her relationship with him was built on similar kinds of pranks. Once again, I cannot play you the tape of what she said. So can we try role-playing again? Sure. This time, I'll be me, and you can be Norway's greatest living actress. All right. What's it like to work with Kiefer? Sometimes you forget he's 16 because he's so grown up. I was going to mother him, and instead he's fathering me. Can you tell me an incident to back all that up? Sometimes we have to take the same car to the set. A lot of actors are not on time, especially young ones who don't know how important it is. I've never seen him late. I've never seen him tired and not knowing his lines because of that or or complaining that he's getting bored. It's very unusual for a youngster, and it's not because he's overeager to please. It's because he's made a decision in life. He wants to do his best. And then this is where Kiefer starts approaching us, and Liv sees that he's coming closer and that he hears us. And then she says, 
Kiefer is such a terrible, difficult child. So much trouble. Do you play practical jokes on each other? He'll talk about our jokes for days. He still hasn't managed to pay me back because we're on our guards. But he has his little plans, and they are so dramatic. He'll say, I heard the hotel you, you stay in fell down yesterday. And that's all of it. My entire conversation with Lee Volman. It's a little hard to capture this kind of thing after it happens, but I got a little taste of it during our lunch at the Chinese restaurant. The photographer was going to the restroom, and he asked us to order a beer for him. Kiefer really wanted to jump in and make that beer order, you know, the way a teenager would want to do. So he called the waitress over, and he was horrified when this Chinese restaurant in Nova Scotia didn't have Molson X, and he had to settle for ordering a moose head. <laughs> and as the waitress walked away, he grabbed my recorder and said this into it. Anyone in civilization never come to the <laughs> restaurant in Sydney, Nova Scotia, okay? Thank you. Just to be clear to anyone in Nova Scotia, he was just talking about the beer. The food was fine. And if you're ever in Sydney, you will enjoy the food at this restaurant. Now, we got that out of the way. It's time for the sad part. I had to go back to New York with my cassette and my notes. And your sweater. And my sweater. And I tried to write a story that included a lot about Donald Sutherland while also conveying Kiefer's rambunctious personality. Now, these days, a website editor might give you maybe three hours to write up a 200-word story. But our pace at magazines was more leisurely. I shut my office door, because we had offices back then, and I clacked away at my IBM Selectrix typewriter for days, version after version. We used to type on this paper with a grid on it that matched the width of a magazine, so we could get a sense of how long the story would be when it was on the page. Mine was way too long, especially for a story about an actor's kid. But I had so much material that I found so fascinating. <laughs> I just couldn't leave it out. So the story went through two rounds of editing. And then it got to Pat Ryan, who was the managing editor of the magazine at the time. Pat later became one of my mentors. She taught me so much and I really respected her. For one thing, whenever anyone did a good job, she would write a personal handwritten note. Mm. Every time you wrote a good story, and would leave it under your door, telling you exactly what she liked about it. Nice. And I've saved several of those. Those are other treasures we'll find in my boxes. But in this case, it was literally another story. I have here a copy of the printout with Pat's notes, written 39 years ago, in the margin, in pencil. And at the top, there's a note from her to the other editor of the story. It says, Jesse. Let's get this story rewritten at 110 to 120 lines. It's a muddle, and Kid seems a jerk. If so, say so. Oh. Next to the first two paragraphs, she wrote, cut. Oh. Pat then sent the story for a rewrite to a relatively new editor named Dick Lemon. In later years, he and I became a team. We oversaw all the arts coverage together. Oh, I thought he was your boss. He became my boss. Yes, over time, but not then. He was new then. And in my box, I have right here his notes on my story. It is a full page of notes. His notes about the problems with my story are longer than the standard People magazine article. <laughs> in the end, the article was completely rewritten. I've got both versions in my folder here. But here's one more surprise I didn't expect. 
You could say that my version was disorganized, cliched, full of holes, but it wasn't absolutely horrible. So just to give a sense of how these things change, I'm going to read you two versions of the headline, one mine and one the edited final version. You tell me which one is mine and which one is theirs. Okay? Mm-hmm. Version one. Following in his lookalike father's footsteps, Kiefer Sutherland, at 17, is suddenly a leading man. And the other one, ducking his dad's long shadow, Kiefer Sutherland gets an early start as a spunky leading man. The first one is yours? Wrong. No! (laughs) I like yours better. People think I paid you for that. That makes me so happy. I have both copies of the story. Uh, Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll share them with you or put them on the website and people can decide which one was better. The story finally came out in April of 1984. And in the mail, I got this note. It's from Paulo Oliveira, who was a promoter of the movie. And it says this, Michael, just a short note of thanks for your work on the Kiefer Sutherland article. It worked out very well, I thought. Good job. All right. So I guess it takes a village and a few great editors to teach me how to write a good story. But the key point that gets lost in all of this is the movie. Which is the only reason you got to meet him. How was the movie? Did Kiefer do justice to the role? When you're on a movie set for a day, it is pretty much impossible to get a sense of anything. I did not witness any great acting skills from Kiefer. And by the time my story came out in 1984, when he was 17, I completely forgot about the movie. I never went to see it. So... After I pulled this out of my box, Cindy and I decided, let's watch The Bay Boy. Ah. And when it began, I was cringing because the music is very dated and the first scene is really old-fashioned. But guess what? You liked it. It's a really good movie. Oh, great. I'll have to see it. We highly recommend it. It's free on YouTube. And Kiefer is great in it. Wonderful. So natural. The director was right. I never would have expected a 16-year-old could do this. But Kiefer is really talented. He delivered. It sounds as if he had talent from the start. Maybe he grew into exactly the person you'd expect him to be. I told you he was rambunctious as a kid, and that definitely continued into adulthood. Like his personal life, it was pretty lively. First, he married actress Camelia Kath, who is 13 years older than he is. Three years later, after they had a daughter, they divorced. Then, you may remember, back in 1991, he was supposed to marry Julia Roberts, right? Mm-hmm. But she called it off three days before the wedding. About five years after that, Kiefer married Kelly Wynn, and they separated three years after that. Meanwhile, Kiefer was arrested four times for drunk driving. The first time was in 1989, and after the last time, which was in 2007, he had to spend 48 days in a county jail. Oh! Kiefer. Definitely a low point, but at least he didn't repeat it. And there were better achievements too. Kiefer kept acting in movies and TV shows. That included a Western called Forsaken, where he and his dad played father and son. That was the first time they acted together since he had that bit part in that 1982 movie, Max Dugan Returns. And he had lots of other interests. In the 1990s, he toured with a rodeo circuit. Now that's rambunctious. What did he do in the rodeo? He was swinging a lasso to rope cattle while riding a horse. He and his partner actually won a U.S. team roping championship in 1998. Now he seems to have calmed down a bit. He's engaged to his girlfriend, Cindy Vela. 
She's an actress, a model, and a saxophonist. And she's 12 years younger than he is. After all of this, I wonder if he feels content with his life, if he really did what he wanted to do. I bet he has mixed feelings, just like the rest of us. (laughs) But he definitely reached some of his goals. Back when I met him, Kiefer told me he wanted to be both an actor and a musician. I know that he let my father down because he quit the violin. Well, you're guilty on that front, too. Unlike me, Kiefer redeemed himself musically. He was playing classical guitar when I met him, and he stuck with it, though he switched to a different genre. Since 2016, he has recorded three country albums. Have you heard them? Are they any good? I'm not a huge country fan, but you can tell the music's really good. He wrote the songs with Jude Cole, who is very respected. They got good reviews, and he even performed at the Grand Ole Opry. Wow. The guy is really talented. I'll put the links to his YouTube videos on our site, throwitoutpodcast.com. Thank you. I'll give a listen. Going back to acting, the stuff in the box inspired Cindy and me also to watch 24 for the first time. Yep. That show is way too suspenseful. Okay, I'm going to see that too. All 192 episodes. I had to crouch behind the sofa to hide from what was on the screen because I couldn't be in the same room with it. It was too tense. Mm. Yeah, we highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. It will not lower your blood pressure, but Kiefer is excellent in it. It's kind of strange. You might even say a little haunting. Because Kiefer plays a dad who is trying to deal with a rambunctious teenage child. I wonder if his father said to him, now you know what I went through. I have a feeling that Donald is pretty proud, especially since so many family members followed his career path. Kiefer's twin sister, Rachel, has been a post-production supervisor for films in Toronto. Kiefer's daughter, Sarah, is also an actress. She played the vice president's daughter on the TV series Veep. I guess those acting genetics are really strong. They are. But sadly, it's time to figure out if I can throw out these objects from my box. But this time I have a new approach. I sent you a list of the items I collected. You read them out and I'll make a case of why I can't throw it out. And we'll see how I do. Okay. Uh, Hit me with the first one. 16-year-old Kiefer publicity shot. I mean, you don't want me to throw this out. Do you? you want to shred this? This is history. Who has a picture of Kiefer Sutherland at 16? Give it to somebody who's obsessed with Kiefer. Find somebody. All right. Well, I'm not shredding that. Okay. Next. Oh, request sheet for a photographer. Okay. Let me see. I got to get that here. Okay. This is interesting for a few reasons. I mean, it tells you what it was like when you had to write up these forms. I put RUSH, super incredible RUSH, RUSH in all capital letters at the top. And there's a lesson in that right there. Yesterday's RUSH, RUSH, RUSH. Is today's, who cares? But what's interesting is I turned it over and on the back is a to-do list from 1983. Did everything get done? Well, there's a reminder that I need to bring deodorant, a razor, pens, and a pad when I go to interview Kiefer, just so I didn't forget the deodorant. Mm -hmm, That's good. There's call Andrea, which is often on my to-do list. That's my cousin, Andrea. And there are various other people I'm supposed to call here, but I don't remember all of them, except there was a note here that said, call Joe Dolce. Now, Joe Dolce was the doorman at the area nightclub, (laughs) and he was extremely powerful. That was the club everyone wanted to be at, and if he didn't want to let you in, you didn't get in. He was a very smart, 
talented guy. And I think he just had this job because it was crazy and fun. Mm -hmm. He went on to run Details Magazine and became an editor and I think is still an editor now. So I just thought, you know what? I don't know if I called him then, but... (laughs) I went on LinkedIn and I looked for him and I found him and I sent him a note. I said, I don't think you'll remember me, but I found this note on my Kiefer Sutherland file to call you. And so I'm getting in touch with you. He wrote back and he said, of course, I remember you. Kiefer Sutherland, not so much. A good one. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this to-do list has some value. Mm, Mike, something's got to get thrown. All right, I'll put it into the maybe file. What's next? Dick Lemon's critique. Okay, here it is in my hand. And all the problems, like before line 79, when we get to the first movie role, we need better anchoring about what he's like and what he's been doing. Not a bio, but a clear summation of his struggles, personal and professional. Such good advice. I don't think we can throw that out. Okay, what's next? My list of questions for Kiefer. Why did you go into acting? What was the appeal? Has it lived up to your hopes? Committed to staying with it? Was your mom a radical influence? Give it a shred. Mm, I'll put in the maybe column. Okay, what's next? Uh, Itinerary for the Nova Scotia trip. That we can get rid of. It was an Air Canada flight. Okay, next. Uh, Writer's first draft of the story. Yeah. I happen to have a few copies of it. Maybe I could only keep one draft. Next. All right. Edited version of the story with notes from managing editor Pat Ryan. It's humbling. You got to have something like this around to remind you not to get a big head. And is that it? That's it. Oh, and the transcript. I guess if I digitize the tape, we don't need the transcript. No. All right. I'm going to take the definite shred pile so that we'll have some progress today. And here we go. I am about to put them in the shredder. And... Oh, there it goes. Look, there's a copy of my story. You have said that I didn't shred anything during this season, and I want you to know you just heard the shredder. That was painful. I made a little progress anyway. Teeny tiny. A few less papers (laughs) for someone to throw into my cremation fire. Before we go, I need to remind you that I've held out on you with one detail. The reason why I couldn't play you some of the interviews. Oh, that's obvious. You knew I'd play Lee Allman much better than she could play herself. Wrong. Here's the real reason. In 1984, I was already writing the gossip column on the last page of People called Chatter. Remember that? Sure do. Wouldn't miss reading it in the checkout lane. So in that stage of my career, I was constantly sending out requests to talk with celebrities and then constantly waiting for them to call me back. So one day, the phone rang. It was the lead singer of a very famous rock band, but I didn't have a tape. So I thought, no one's going to care about Donald Sutherland's son in 10 years. So yes, I taped over the second half of my interview with Kiefer. And to make matters worse, soon after that, I got a call from a really famous artist. And I needed a tape. So I grabbed the same tape. And then after that, I got a call from someone who was really famous on TV. And yes, I used the same tape. So Michael. that is why you could not hear Donald Sutherland or Lee Allman talk about Kiefer. I taped over them. Well, you seem to have survived that mistake. Some people might say it proves that you could throw out the rest with no lasting damage to your life. Oh, come on. We cannot toss the cassette tape with Kiefer on one side till we hear who is on the other side. Sally, will you join me for that in our next episode? I will, Michael. Excellent. Then I will be speaking with you very soon as I try yet again to live up to the title of a podcast called 
I couldn't throw it out. I couldn't throw it out. I had to scream and shout before I turned to dust. The more people who listen to this podcast, the bigger our heads will swell. <laughs> yes. And you know you've always wanted to see us with swollen heads. So if you liked what you heard, please encourage your friends to listen to I Couldn't Throw It Out. You can also listen to our entire first season on our website, throwitoutpodcast.com. If you want to stay in the loop, please follow us on Instagram at throwitoutpod. Is that all your reminders for today? That's it. Well then, thank you to Kiefer Sutherland for being such an entertaining 16-year-old in 1983. And now let's hear our rockin' theme song by Boots Camp and by Don Ralph, leader of our favorite band, Life in a Blender. To quote the rambunctious Beastie Boys. Hit it! Out here in Nancy's a big garage. This isn't a mer, this isn't a mirage. Decades of stories, memory stacked. There is a redolence of some irrelevant facts. Oh, I couldn't throw it out. To scream and shout It all seems so unjust But still I know I must Before I turn to dust I've got to throw it out Before I turn to dust I've got to throw it out So through my possessions in these painful settings, I guess this is what it's about. The poems, cards, and papers, the moldy, musty papers, I've just gotta sort it out. Oh, I couldn't throw it out. No, I couldn't throw it out. No, I couldn't throw it out. I couldn't throw it out.